Good evening, gentlemen. How's everybody doing today? Too blessed to be stressed, right? Right on. Alrighty. Well, uh, everybody got your donuts and coffee? Right on. Okay, well, let's start with a word of prayer. So, gracious Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord, for this time of worship that you give us. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be in your presence, the Almighty God, the Holy God, and through your Son that you uh, allowed us, Lord, to be forgiven of our sins and to come before your throne in confidence and, Lord, just to kneel before you, to bow before you, and just to seek your will today, Lord. Father, I ask that you forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. Fill this empty vessel, Lord, with your spirit, that these words that I speak would not be of my own, but that it would be of you, Lord. I pray, O Lord, for all the ministries going on tonight, for the ladies, for the men here, for the children and youth, Lord, that you would just touch our hearts and speak to us, Lord. For those who don't know you, I pray that your spirit would minister to them. For those who are hurting, Lord, that you would just comfort them. And Father, um, as we look at this text, I ask that uh, we make it personal, Lord, that we take it to heart, just as Moses did, and that, Lord, we don't keep it to ourselves, but we share it with all our loved ones, wherever you send us. We thank you, Father, we praise you, and we just look forward to see what you're going to do tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so tonight we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 4 beginning from verse 18 until the end of the chapter. And uh, I've titled this study, kind of long, it kind of sounds like a thesis in college. And I say, obedience results from a thankful heart, which leads to true worship. And the idea I had here is that when you truly understand what God has done for you, you really want to do His will. And uh, in the first part of the chapter, what we saw is that Moses was uh, expressing some doubts to God as God was calling him to, uh, to ministry. And, uh, but God was patient with him and just uh, helped Moses out to understand how much God loves him, how much God wants to equip him, and, uh, and just to use him for his glory. So, uh, you know, with Thanksgiving going on in a couple days here, um, I'm not going to give you my Thanksgiving story again. Oh, you want to hear it again? You never heard it. Oh, boy. Then, then, then I guess I got to sell it. Okay. So uh, you guys remember years back when the Toyota Prius came to the U.S. and it started becoming a really popular car and people were getting in line, paying thousands more just to get one? Well, uh, I needed a car to commute long distances every day, so I prayed about it and the Lord put it on my heart to get one. But I had to wait a whole year because I wasn't willing to pay, you know, three, four thousand dollars over sticker price. So, uh, you know, finally get the car. It's my first new car and uh, really excited about it. You know, uh, and then had it for a couple months. And, uh, you know, I was driving my family up to uh, Palmdale uh, for Thanksgiving. And then, you know, 
nice shiny car just washed it. Freeway came to a screeching halt. Well, the person in back of me didn't. So, smackaroo, and uh, totaled the car. Um, but we had the turkey inside the car. We had uh, stuffing and yams and all that good stuff. And let's just say the turkey got cut up on its own. Um, there was a glass jar inside a, uh, a cooler. That got shattered completely. Um, my parents were in the back. Uh, you know, thank God we walked away, but it wasn't one of those things where you say you want to remember. But what I do remember from it, I had a thankful heart that God kept us. We're still alive. And uh, he's still helping us flourish, and uh, and it is amazing how God leads you through life and uh, and just keeps you walking in the path that He wants. Um, I had to get the car replaced, and here's the neat part about it: you know, uh, the insurance company couldn't replace the car because they're like, you know, it's it's very rare, it's very expensive. We can't give you the money for it. So. Uh, Okay, so uh, prayed some more, and then I started calling dealerships and such. And uh, here's a neat thing: um, it was literally, I'd say, about two weeks later. Um, I was camping over at my brother's apartment, and then get a call like 6 a.m. Uh, you know, I was all sleepy and all, and uh, and the salesperson says, "Yo, Rafi, we have a Prius. It's in the dealership. You want it? You got to come now." But, uh, you know, that's, that's how good the Lord is, that, um, you know, He never leaves us hanging. He never, um, he never leaves us without what we need. And, uh, you know, I was able to get the, get the car replaced. Um, didn't have to pay any extra for it. The Lord covered it, and, uh, and there you go. And, uh, you know, He meets our every single need, and... Uh, and, you know, just looking at this study and just how Moses is expressing his doubts to the Lord and how the Lord is helping him through the process. You know, I had doubts in my mind that I'd never be able to replace the car. But Lord proved me wrong because he knew I needed it. So um, with that said, that's my Thanksgiving story. Uh, family is doing great. Thank God. And I uh, just want to encourage you with that, you know. Things happen in life, but uh, the Lord is good regardless. So we got to look beyond the circumstance and, uh, and just see what he's trying to teach us. So let's recap from the previous week where uh, Pastor Tony covered the first 17 verses of Exodus chapter 4. And he explained how God wants us to understand who he is, his very nature. And as we know, the Lord is long-suffering, and gracious, and patiently waiting for us to obey Him and do what He asks us to do. Because, in the end, He knows what's good for us. And the thing is, you know, we have this human nature. We have this sinful nature in us. It likes to stay comfortable. It likes to stay complacent. But guess what? That's not where God wants to keep us. And uh, he desires us to be a whole lot more than what we think is good. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 2 to 3, I want to read this, and it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the chapter begins with Moses expressing his doubts to the Lord that the people of Israel may not believe that God actually appeared to him and told him these things. And uh, we saw how God was being sensitive to the concerns of Moses and just helping him along overcome this hurdle in his life and... uh, you know, Lord is working on his heart, just like he continues to work on our hearts. And God gave Moses three wonders or signs to perform, as it says in chapter 4, verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So, you remember what those three signs were? We had the rod that became a serpent, when Moses cast it on the ground, and then he just kind of jumped and ran away from it. I I probably would too. Um, Then the second sign was his hand, where when he placed it in his bosom and took it back out, it became leprous. And of course, the third one, where he took water from the river, and when he poured it on dry land, it turned into blood. So, um, pretty amazing signs, I'd say. And even after being an eyewitness to these miraculous signs and wonders, Moses made even more excuses. And what did he say? Well, I'm not eloquent of speech. I'm slow of speech. I am slow of tongue. And uh, he also told God, you know, please send this message by the hand of someone else. Well, I think God was a little upset with him, but, but think about this. So, for 40 years, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace and was versed in the knowledge and responsibilities that came with the position. Um, We have confirmation of this in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, where it says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So, what in the world happened here? You have this guy who is raised in royalty, who's trained, who's uh, exercised in all the things that pertain to this palace. And, uh, and all of a sudden he's saying, I can't talk, God, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, think about this. After he fled Egypt and uh, for the next 40 years, He had been out of the limelight, and uh, he was tending sheep, of all things. Now, I'm just speculating here, but uh, let's just say that uh, sheep don't make for very good conversation. (laughs) But, um, you know, despite ourselves, the Lord truly wants each of us to attain his perfect and excellent plan for our lives. So think about the attributes of God. When he tells you something... It's because it's something that's good for you. 
ultimately, God is good. Amen? So, when I think about all the times that the Lord has placed the burden on my heart to step out in faith and do the things He asked me to do, and I've said no, well, guess who loses out on the blessings? Me. The Lord doesn't need me to accomplish His will, but He wants me to abide in His will. And I want you to take that to heart as we look at chapter 4, verse 18 for today's study. So I want to read through the entire text once over, and then we'll go and break it down verse by verse. So chapter 4, verse 18, the title is Moses Goes to Egypt. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son, and cast it at Moses' feet, and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood, because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God, and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So let's break this down. Verse 18. So Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now, a couple things struck me with this. Um, the first is a gesture of respect and courtesy that Moses showed his father-in-law. So, um, you know, he was giving him some notice before he's taken off. After all, you know, 40 years he had been tending his sheep, and uh, I'm sure um, 
he had a lot of responsibilities there. And, um, you know, Jethro had shown him a lot of kindness when he was a stranger. Let's look back to Exodus chapter 2 for the events that occurred at that time. And uh, chapter 2, second part of verse 14 and on. I want to read a couple of these just to refresh uh, ourselves here. And it says, But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, who was also Jethro, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses, and she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Stranger in a foreign land. Sounds like a country western, does it? Well, imagine this. You just killed an Egyptian... You did a really poor job of burying him in the sand. And people found out. And the king found out about your deed. And he is out to get you. So what do you do? Well, you flee for your life to Midian and sit by a well. Well, no pun intended. God is still in control and provides refuge for Moses through Ruel or Jethro. He has food, he has a place to stay, he has a job as a shepherd, and he even has a wife. God is definitely good, despite our circumstances and despite the decisions we make. You know, this is where the respect comes in, and as uh, Moses is speaking with Jethro to go back to Egypt and check on the brethren, um, you know, Jethro gives him the blessing to leave. Now, the second thing that struck me is that, um, you know, some things had happened to Moses right before this. And uh, note that Moses does not boast about why he is going back to Egypt. And you guys remember, he had just seen this awesome manifestation of God in the burning bush. And God was going to send him to Pharaoh to bring the children of Israel out from bondage. He probably had a great temptation to boast about this, you know. Uh, he's talking to his father-in-law. Will, hey Jethro, you know, God's choosing me to do this, but, you know, Lord was working on his heart. And uh, and we see that, you know, Moses is learning. He's uh, He's beginning to understand who God is and the love that God has for him. Let's step back for a little bit to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 to 10, where God actually called Moses for this work. And it says, Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians 
and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. It truly is a great honor to be commissioned by God and to be used by Him. But we can't boast because it's all the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, it just gives me some humbleness and thankfulness to God that He can use us for His glory, though He doesn't need us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And I also want to bring forth Luke chapter 17, verse 5, and a couple verses. Um, it explains what an unprofitable servant is. And verse 5 reads, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, just say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And I know that God gives us all duties that we must obey. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But um, just like God was helping Moses through this process, to trust Him, to really know Him personally, I know that He does that work in each of us, just as He has taught me a lot of things. So let's go to verse 19, which reads, Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. It's interesting that God would actually say this, that this would be mentioned in the scripture. And it makes me wonder, what was Moses afraid of? Um, let's look back again at Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, and read a couple verses to get the whole picture. And you see how a lot of things that were happening in the previous chapters, now we're seeing what's actually going on. Because God mentioned it, that it is going to happen, 
and now it's actually happening. So it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. You know, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he is aware of every single fear, every insecurity, not to mention our gripes and complaints. And the Lord gives Moses reassurance that all those in Egypt who were out to get him are no longer around. Why the reassurance? Where is Moses' faith? Now remember, when the Lord sends you somewhere, he always equips you with everything you need. And uh, I love it how uh, Pastor Chuck says, where God guides, he provides couple verses to support this. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 31-32. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Indeed, He is a good, good Father. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. Another verse here, Philippians 4, verse 13. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let's look at another one. Old Testament, Psalm thirty-four, ten. The young lions attack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. In another psalm, Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in You. And also, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who seek Him? Indeed, the Lord does give us good things, and He wills good for each of us. So let's move to verse 20, which reads, Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. 
And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Took the rod of God. Um, found it interesting that that is specifically mentioned here. Um, look back in Exodus chapter 4 verse 2. And uh, when uh, God asked Moses over there, um, what's that in your hand? He just says, well, just a rod. But uh, now in this verse here in 20, it says, the rod of God. And uh, this kind of reminded me of, uh, you remember American Express, they had a slogan a long time back, don't leave home without it. Well, uh, if God gives you something, especially this, don't leave home without it. Keep it dear to you. And uh, Exodus 4.17, uh, And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. Well, I think that rod is quite important. So, um, And the thing here is that you know Moses is obeying what God has told him to do. A lot of times something may seem insignificant. The detail might be, you know, something really minor. But God wants our obedience. And um, whatever it is He's asking us to do, we've got to do it because it is for our own good. So let's move to verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Well, if we move forward to uh, Exodus chapter 7 through 10, we know that Moses was obedient to the Lord and did all the wonders in front of Pharaoh with Aaron. But, uh, you know, God warned Pharaoh from the beginning and uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And, um, and then we saw that, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And uh, one thing I wanted to touch here on is that, you know, how many chances does God give each of us to repent from our sinful ways? If we look at uh, chapter 7 through 10, uh, how many plagues do we have? Anyone know? How many plagues do we have? Ten, Ten plagues. And, uh, you know, these are brought upon Egypt, and uh, we have a record of uh, Pharaoh's reaction and responses. Um, and just want to highlight each of them. So, Exodus chapter 7, verse 13, you know, the rod is turned into serpents, and of course the magicians uh, were able to replicate that. And in verse 13 it says, And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. In uh, 7, verse 22, um, the waters in the river were turned to blood. And uh, it reads, Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. We're seeing a trend here, are we? Um, let's go to Exodus chapter 8, verse 15. Plague of frogs. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them, as the Lord had said. I think Pharaoh has a problem here. Um, in the same chapter 8, verse 19, there was a plague of lice on man and beast, which the magicians could not replicate. And the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. 
Oh boy. He's not even listening to his people. Um, chapter 8, verse 32. We have the plague of the flies. And it says, But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Then the next instance is Exodus chapter 9, verse 7, where the livestock of the Egyptians diseased and died, and uh, none of the livestock of Israel was even touched. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Well, then we got the plague of boils in Exodus 9, verse 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. You see the big transition here. And he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And further down in chapter 9, verse 34, we have the plague of hail. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Now, hang on with me. There are just a couple more plagues here. So, Exodus chapter 10, verse 20, we have the plague of the locusts. And it reads, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. And then, chapter 10, verse 27, we have the plague of darkness. Again, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then, the final plague Exodus 11, verse 10, the death of the firstborn announced. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. When do you cross that line of no return with God? In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, in a couple verses, it reads, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. And this is what I want to focus on. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Um, if this can happen to the chosen people of God, how much more careful do we as Gentiles, do we have to be careful? Psalm 81 verse 11 reads, but my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsel. 
I mean, it's convicting to think that, you know, even as believers, even as the people of God, it's very easy to get a hard heart. And then there's that line that uh, once you cross it, you know, you're an enemy of God and uh, there's no turning back, just like we see with Pharaoh. In verse 22, we move forward and it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. You shall say. There's a reminder here early in this chapter that God will give Moses the words to speak. In... uh, Chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. And it's real interesting that, you know, we have a God who is unchanging, whether He is commanding His servants in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. So I want to give you some examples here how Jesus encouraged the apostles. Matthew chapter 10, verse 18, it reads, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. Another example from Luke chapter 12, verse 11. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities... Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In Mark chapter 13, verse 11, it reads, But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. Thus says the Lord, makes it clear who the message is from. And I know that God warns everyone from the beginning. And uh, God is also identifying who Israel is to God. Israel is identified as God's firstborn. A couple examples of that. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 14, it reads, Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he plundered? And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9, it reads, They shall come with weeping, and with supplications I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. That's pretty heavy. God has this strong desire, strong jealousy for Israel. And he is not going to let Pharaoh touch his people. So let's move to verse 24. And it reads, um, And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. 
I'm sorry, circumcision. Well, think about this. Why? What happened here? This is like a transition that uh, that kind of confused me when I first read it. But as I'm looking further into it, um, I ask myself, why had Moses not circumcised his son? Had he forgotten or overlooked uh, the covenant that God had made with his forefathers? So, what's going on here? All of a sudden, you have God who has commissioned Moses to go to Pharaoh with Aaron and uh, confront him and demand that he let the people go and go worship him. And now God is out to kill Moses. So, what's going on here? So, um, you know, his wife Zipporah circumcised their son. He throws the flesh at Moses' feet and then God lets him go. So, we got to look back at uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 to 14, to understand what's going on here. Because God established a covenant with Israel, with His people. And it says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after, after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Now pay attention here. That person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Kind of made me wonder, Moses being away for 40 years, you know, growing up in the palace and then going to Midian and becoming a shepherd. Was he keeping his house in order? Had he become complacent to the things that God had told him to keep? And, uh, you know, being right with God involves being free from sins of commission and sins of omission. And, Sins of commission are things that we do that are wrong, but there's also things that we should be doing that we might not necessarily be doing. Like, uh, you know, in this case, um, the covenant that God made with Abraham, were the Israelites keeping it? Was Moses keeping it? Was he being diligent to keep those laws, to keep those commands? In James chapter 1, verse 22, it reads, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And in James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Therefore, 
To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So it's a reminder and a warning that uh, what God has commanded us to do, we got to be diligent to keep it up and, um, and just keep in communion with Him so that we are not forgetting those things that He's told us to do. So let's move to verse 27 and 28 which reads, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountainside of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. You know, Aaron went in obedience. Imagine this, um, you know, God sending him to the wilderness. There's no maps, there's no GPS, there's no cell phones. Just the word of God. But Aaron has no hesitation and he's glad to go out there and have an endearing encounter with Moses. And uh, this is confirmed in uh, earlier in chapter 4, verse 14, the second part of it, which reads, And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And again, we see obedience on the part of Moses as uh, he told uh, the words and signs to Aaron. And... Uh, and it's just neat, you know, when God is calling His servants to do something, they got to gladly do it. You know, when God calls you to ministry, when He calls you to do something, even if it's uncomfortable, or you don't know where it's going to lead, and, uh, you know, God confirms things. And He just wants us to be obedient to it. So, moving to verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Remember back in Exodus chapter 3 what God had said when... Uh, Moses was questioning God. Let's look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice. It's a promise that God made 
to Moses earlier on in chapter 3, and now we are seeing it come to fruition. So the people believed from seeing the signs, just as God had said. Then they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and looked on their affliction, and they bowed and worshipped God. I want to read to you Psalm 100. Um, it's one of my most favorite psalms, and uh, I've made this a tradition to, to read it during Thanksgiving with our family. It says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. So I have a question for you. You know, Having gone through all the experiences that Moses had, the doubts that he had at the beginning of chapter 4, how he was questioning God, and then at the second half of chapter 4, where he's actually seeing the Word of God come to fruition. What God said happened exactly as He said it. So the question for all of us is, do we personally know that the Lord, that He is God? Can you honestly say that uh, you come before Him giving thanks and praise and acknowledge that He is the one who sustains you? You know, we see in this text that uh, Moses is getting it. He's understanding that, you know, what God is saying is absolute truth. What God is saying is good for him. What God is saying is going to happen, just as he says it. And Moses is putting obedience into action. So, obedience results from a thankful heart, which, which leads to true worship. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come to you in Jesus' name again, and uh, we thank you, Lord, for your servant Moses and his example, Lord, of how you are so gracious to him, how you are so patient with him, Lord, and how you chose him, Father, despite himself, just as you choose us despite ourselves, Lord, to partake in your kingdom, to partake in ministry, to be commissioned, Lord, to spread your gospel wherever we go. And Lord God, um, I ask that we would take this to heart. And Lord, that we wouldn't be afraid, that we would just be honest with you, Lord, that we would open up to you with any doubts that we have, any concerns that we have, any questions that we have, knowing, Lord, that you are patient and kind and long-suffering, and you will the best for us. And Father, I pray for all my brothers here, that whatever they're going through, that any difficulty that they're facing, let them know, Lord, that You are God, that You are their God. And Lord, give us all that humble attitude to just give You thanks and praise and come to Your courts with thanksgiving and to be the godly men that You've called us to be, Lord, until You take us home. 
We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.